Hey, welcome to uh, Current Yield, the uh, Grant's Interest Rate Observer Podcast. I am Jim Grant, and with me, as always, uh, Eric Whitehead at the Dials, the great Evan Lorenz, Deputy Editor of Grants, and with us today, our guest, uh, Chris Whalen, who, uh, well, he's Chris Whalen is a formidable McTavish in his own right, but I think of him as the, uh, in other ways, he's a son of Richard J. Whalen, who was the author of one of my favorite American biographies, Founding Father, about uh, J.F. Kennedy's father. So Chris is, I don't know, he's uh, many things. He's a commentator, investment banker, he's a student of banking and of deep finance. He was with the Kroll Rating Outfit. He was with the Fed. He was with uh, the Republican Conference Committee in the House. He uh, was Bear yep. Stern. Anyway, he's been all of it. And if he is not the president of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, it's no fault of mine because I put you up for that. And <laughs> well, it, it should have happened. But it, uh, anyway, don't yeah. blame me, Chris, because I thought my letter was. I, I don't. I yeah. love the institution. It would have been great to go back to. Well, I'm not ruling it out, Chris, well, except maybe after this podcast, you might talk yourself out of it. When they need someone who understands financial markets, you know, as uh, McChesney Martin said, keep the experts on tap, but not on the top. Yeah, well said, McChesney. Hey, um, Chris Whalen, it is often said, in fact, I dare say uh, you have heard others say it, that our Dodd and Franked banks are as safe as a house now, that there is really no, if there's risk in the system, it's not in the banks, we have fixed them. Comment? I don't think that's uh, necessarily true. The, the nature of the risk has changed. Um, certainly the single family mortgage has faded from view as a major line item for most banks, but they have found other things to do. They can't trade their own accounts anymore in conflict with their clients, but they are certainly still heavily involved in commercial real estate, leverage loans, all sorts of other off and on balance sheet credit extensions. And the question is, you know, Jim, is always where is the hidden risk this time? If you think of it as a merry-go-round, it keeps coming at us over and over again, slightly different. I think of it as a revolving cylinder and a pistol. Yes. <laughs> With more than six chambers, I think. Do you have any nominations for the next big thing in banking? That is to say, the thing that people are not looking for, but should be? Well, thanks to the Fed, credit risk has been pushed out several years, especially in housing. Both residential and commercial real estate has just been gunned enormously. So we don't have to worry about that today because the collateral is worth twice the loan balance from, say, four or five years Oh, I see. Years Levitation, ago. asset prices. Yeah. Is, okay. But where I think the stress in the system is, is due largely to the Fed. It's like 1928 all over again. We're raising wait rates. Wait a second. I know what happened after 28. Yeah. Well, raising rates when you don't have to. <laughs> uh, and that results in carnage among non-banks because they cannot compete with banks. Banks have the money. They don't. They operate under strict leverage rules. And when you flatten a curve, you almost always have a liquidity problem. And my candidate this time is the housing sector which is getting annihilated. The same actions that the Fed took to goose asset prices have squeezed spreads. So most lenders today in the U.S. residential mortgage market are losing money. I'd say at least two-thirds of them have blown through their loan covenants. So it's really up to the banks when they close them down. That'll be an interesting conversation at your end. Who might they close down? Well... Not, not the top two or three. They're big and they have private equity funds behind them. But once you get beyond that, a little bit below Penny Mac and those guys, you start to encounter mom and pop shops that are private and that have these big... mortgage companies. Yeah. That you've never heard of. Wall Street doesn't know any of these companies. You also have problems with REITs. All of the agency REITs like Annaly and the rest of them fund off the market. So when the curve flattens, they will slowly liquidate back down to equity. Now, do you see the, the curve continuing to flatten? And if so, at what levels, what 
what point? I, I think so, because, you know, if you go back and look at what the Fed did, QE1 was about reliquifying the banks. Fine. Uh, QE2, 3, I would differ. I, don't, I think they had already won the war. And then they did Operation Twist, where they sold all their short-term paper and bought long. What this has done is horribly mangled the yield curve for Treasury. So it doesn't have any value as an indicator anymore for policy, for risk. I would argue the 10-year ought to be at four and a quarter, Jim. And yet the Fed doesn't know. And at the same time, they'll sit there and speculate about what the neutral rate of interest is, but they don't understand that they needed to reverse all of these extraordinary actions before they started pushing short-term rates up. So, Is it true that uh, the neutral rate of interest can be found by staring at one's navel? Probably the best methodology I've ever heard. It doesn't exist. It's it's one of these examples of why... It's like the future, right? No, it's just a whimsical concept. It, 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 you can't... I re- wait, I, I read this morning in the Wall Street Journal by an eminent alumnus of the Fed, and indeed a tenured mind you at Princeton, that R squared, or no, R starred. R starred, yes. Thing. Is it, yeah, like, as the kids say, it's a thing. But it's not a thing? No, it's not. It's like a uh, quantum physics problem. You kind of sort of know where it is, and you may think you know how fast it's moving through time, but you really don't know exactly what it is. And it's all just economist poppycock. These guys are allowed to violate the rules of science and math, and we look up at them as gods. Not around here, right, Evan? <laughs> no. No. So what should the Fed be doing? You, you said it's raising rates when it's uh, when it shouldn't be. Um, but if I look at like inflation, it's you know above 2%. If I look at unemployment, it's the mm-hmm. lowest since 1969. It, it seems like the economy is pretty strong. Like, What should the Fed be doing? Look, I'm not against a couple of rate hikes because the benchmark was very low. But I would do two things. I would pause at this stage or maybe do the last rate hike this year. And then I would let the balance sheet run off a bit and see if demand for funds actually starts pulling rates up. Because that's what we don't have. There is no urgent demand out there. So letting the market decide? Yes. See, the Fed has lobotomized the market. That's really yes, the whole well point. Said. We're, we're in a coma. We're laying on a table somewhere. And it's inconvenient for the bureaucrats and the regulators to have a market. It's troublesome. They would love to well, get Mario rid of Mario Draghi has, uh, has <laughs> dispatched his. Yes. And they've confirmed to me, I mean, the head of the Banque de France, who I've gotten to know, said, we will reinvest the quantitative purchases indefinitely, which tells you all you need to know about European banking. Yeah. And uh, Japan is just as bad or perhaps worse. Evans, you... Uh... Japan's uh, balance sheet's, uh, what is it? It's almost equal to GDP? Yes. I mean, it's the biggest distortion. Well, it's just madness. The fact that economists think that negative numbers are a valid measure for policy, you know, we, we shouldn't have to say anymore. Uh, Chris, if the if the Fed does stick with the program and uh, raises three times next year, uh, what's this going to mean for bank profits? Well, that's the fun part. The street, as you know, only reads the first two paragraphs of the press release street, about The street is very busy. The street is very busy. Oftentimes, the toner is not dry when they're uh. reading the document. And what they haven't noticed is that the thing that is changing the most in bank income statements last several quarters has been funding costs. Funding costs are galloping along at 55 or 60 percent year-over-year change. Started very low. It's about 30 billion a quarter now. It'll be 50 by the end of the year and so on. So by next summer, funding costs will have kind of gotten back to where they were in 2008 in relation to interest earning. The problem is, is that I think when they normalize, it'll be closer to 80. Now that means, Jim, that we're going to take 40 to 50 billion dollars 
dollars out of bank earnings because funding costs are rising. But whoops, we have the Fed. The Fed did Operation Twist. So returns on assets are effectively capped. They're just not going to respond that quickly. And that's the problem for banks. They have great competition on the lending side. They have enormous competition for investment assets generally. They're out there competing with private equity funds for middle market loans. I heard Kelly King from BBT today on TV talking about how the problem was runoff on his book. He couldn't make new loans fast enough to keep up with it. Well, why is that? It's because there's somebody standing there ready to put private equity in in place of debt. Commercial real estate, for example. You have a lot of private equity funds putting mezzanine finance subordinate to the banks into some of these deals in New York that won't be done for another year, 18 months. Uh, that's a repeat of what we saw in 2015 in the oil patch, where we were all expecting the apocalypse. And no, the private equity guys showed up and they put more money in, recapped these unprofitable companies, and they kept going. Well, and now that they're not traveling to Saudi Arabia, they might do some more deals, right? But why do we get so annoyed about the Saudis know. massacring one another when we do business China. with the Chinese yeah. without any trouble at all? Well, the, the Chinese have said that their internment camps uh, in the uh, are vocational schools. Ah, indeed. No, revocation. <laughs> oh, the uh. Chinese will do rendition of state enemies all over Asia without any problem. The Saudis are quite sloppy, I think. Um, yeah, who was it that said, uh, I know, it was uh, Gerard Baker was uh, slumming in the Times of London, and he said, uh, apropos of the, uh, of the somewhat amateurish events in Turkey, he said, it's, uh, quoting some real politique guy, he said, uh, it's worse than a sin, it's a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> However, um, Chris, uh, how do you uh, uh, read the consumer uh, based upon what you see in finance? Yeah, this is, the Fed was out with some amazing stat that Evan uh, captured. It was that uh, if there were a need, uh, what percentage of the American public could not come up with 300 bucks? Uh, it's like 40% now. Uh, it's improved a little bit from like uh, the last sounding, which was like around 50%, but it's still amazing. They're, they're including credit cards in this, so they can't even right. tap their credit cards Okay, for so uh, mm -hmm. given that background, how do you, as the consumer, prepared to carry us into the next level of prosperity? No, the um, the engineers in the Great Monetary Control Center have pulled <laughs> tomorrow's sales into today, as they always do. Look at autos. Autos is a great example of your question. They thought it was going to stabilize around 16 or even 17. 17 million units. Nope, it's not even close because we've now got new cars for everybody. Family pets have new cars. Everybody has a new car. And we're going to see it slump rather considerably. Housing purchase of mortgage, partly because prices went up so much, is going to fall next year. The refis are gone already. We've already figured that one out, right? But everybody thought that home purchases would keep rising because millennials need homes and they want to have babies. No, they don't have the capital to buy the house. Their parents have all the capital that's left. And so what you're going to see I think is a fall off in activity, strangely enough. Credit cards have been growing a bit, other kinds of consumer finance, but not that much. Autos was the big sector that ran like crazy after the crisis. It doubled in asset size in terms of the non-manufacturer financing. But I think that's done. I think we've pulled a lot of demand into the present. And now the challenge is going to be, what do we do in 2020, 2021, when credit costs will be rising? That's when we'll start to see the real credit cost of this portfolio that we've created over the past six, seven now, years. Now, why will credit costs be raised as opposed to uh, raw interest? You're talking about the premium yes, for, raw, for bankruptcy. Raw interest, uh, floating rate mortgages will feel the pain. Other types of floating rate financing will feel the pain. And then I think the bond market's where the great fun is going to be. You're, you guys are going to have a blast with this. It's not on bank balance sheets directly. They sold it all to their clients again. And they did it early this time. They didn't wait for a liquidity crisis. They've been selling the detrius to the clients for, for years 
years and years now. But is, is this a call on rising rates or is it a call on the perception of heightened credit risk or is it both? It's both. You have the rising rates as the pressure causing change. And then you have the realization by investors and others in the chain that many of the credits are originated three and four years ago were mispriced. They were off by a full ratings category in some cases. Those issuers will come back to the market. Uh, who knows? Maybe spreads will actually start widening by then. And they'll have to find a way to refinance those deals at different terms. That hasn't happened yet, though. Amazingly, we still have no contrary movement between stocks and bonds. And even as the Fed has been forcing short-term rates up, spreads have been tightening. When was the last time we saw that? I don't think we've ever seen that. So again, there's no demand for credit such that spreads widen, give banks more earnings power, that sort of thing. No, we're not seeing that yet. I mean, spreads on loans, Jim, are as tight as I can remember them in 30 years of watching bank. Well, that seems to point to very, very severe loan loss problems down the road. Is, 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 these things are mispriced or is credit that good? When you drive interest rates down to nothing, almost anyone can qualify. And Might that be the yes, problem? That is, that is definitely a problem in the housing sector. Um, you're starting to see as much as 15% of FHA endorsements below uh, 620 20 FICO score for the borrower. These are 97% loans. So the probability of default on those loans is quite high. And the originators of that paper, yeah. they will be the first casualties in the liquidity crisis because they don't have the money. They, they've already sold it to BlackRock. This is one of the fun little inspirations that I had a few weeks ago. I thought, you know, I wonder if any of the regulators for the banks are asking the non-banks how much of their servicing strip they sold to BlackRock because that's their cushion. They're supposed to keep that for the rainy day but when the Fed gooses asset prices, what else do they do? You have mortgage servicing rights for Fannie and Freddie trading at six times cash flow. They were two times cash flow a decade ago. So again, the distortions in the credit market misprice assets and cause these issuers to make really poor decisions about how much cash flow they keep back just for that rainy day when default rates go up. That to me is a big problem. So banks are a sell? Well, banks... Uh are fully valued. You know, after the tax law change, you saw a ratcheting up of after tax asset and equity returns. Right. So now it's normal for JP Morgan to be 1.7 times book. Okay. US Bank two times. Speaking of the tax cut, okay, so it took this country 193 years to achieve $1 trillion in gross public debt. Mm -hmm. And let's see, that was 1982, right? 1986, I believe, it got to 2 trillion. Mm -hmm. And then a few years later, it got to 5. And uh, in 19, I guess 2008 or 10, maybe, it got to 10. And now it's at 20, as Evan has observed. The, uh, the curve since the curve of growth in the public debt since 1971 uh, ish is uh, seemingly or close to exponential, right? Whereas GDP growth is arithmetic. All this is by way of preface to the question of uh, when, if at all, will the public credit come to be a factor in the pricing of treasury securities? When investors begin to doubt the ability of the U.S. to make good, number one, uh, and willingness politically to make good. And I think also, too, you know, we haven't seen any selling pressure on the dollar, really, even as the fiscal uh, has deteriorated deteriorated very visibly. And I think that's in part because the rest of the world is still such a mess that they default to the dollar. The dollar is 
just a means of exchange. It's the only currency that's big enough to be the global means of exchange. And we haven't yet seen anyone volunteer to take our place. The uh, Chinese, I think, have put up their hand, but uh, there's some problems with it. Well, yes, you know, their deposit base is, in theory, much larger than ours. But my view of Chinese uh, communist capitalism is that there is no equity. That's the thing you have to remember. It's just debt. <laughs> just layer and layer of debt, like a, a wonderful spectacle. Speaking of layers, uh, uh, collateralized loan obligations uh, yes. are meant to be a thing of this cycle. Certainly we've written about them, and we have uh, I think we have a few critical things to say about the uh, fine print or lack thereof in these leveraged loans. What do you think? Is this, is this, nomin- is this a nominee of yours for trouble down the road? CLOs and leverage yes. loans? And the investor community has had most, if all, of their protections stripped away by the thousands of pages of legalese that comes with these deals. Yeah. You see this across the board. Since 2008, the production of loans has gotten better. The documentation is better, et cetera, et cetera. But the rights of investors in these structured transactions are non-existent. And you need a scientist to help you go through the document and figure out just what the credit waterfall is given X, Y, and Z. Uh, if you change two words, we'll know, in it, we'll you're know lost. more during the bankruptcy proceedings. <laughs> Well, they're trying to avoid that too, but all of the pitfalls that got the sell side of the street in trouble last time, they have tried to address contractually. Now, which pitfalls are these? Oh, reps and warranties on the asset, uh, any kind of... But, you know, but in, in, in 2007, hmm. 8, 9, 10, uh, these leveraged loans did, performed admirably, you know? They, I mean, the, the prices of the structures went down, but the loans mostly pay. Yes. They're very good. They're Some bank of them loans, did, yeah. right? Senior, senior right. collateralized loans. Okay, so as we understand it, the difference now is that uh, what made those loans pay the strength of the uh, uh, covenant protection that's eviscerated or absent mm-hmm. and what people are looking for if they're looking for a repeat of the performance of the last cycle they won't find it no I don't think so I think the shenanigans and the asset stripping and everything else multiple pledges of the same collateral uh, but this time it's on the isn't commercial that, isn't side. that illegal well, in theory, but you have to get somebody to prosecute for fraud. That's the thing. You know, in some states, you can commit civil fraud I, with abandon. I want the I want the <laughs> listeners to know. Some of you might already see this that uh, that our guest Christopher Whalen is 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 smiling as he is talking about these uh, flagrant violations of the law. <laughs> And hear, hear that? <laughs> well, look, in Florida, 5% of the population dies every year. So they have to attract new capital and new suckers. And that's one of the reasons why the state of Florida does not prosecute civil fraud. I have several good friends who've been receivers in that state. And they told me that unless you do something really big to attract the attention of the U.S. attorney, you're fine. Receivers of fraud or receivers of the capital coming in to be defrauded? No, receivers of dead banks who had to go through loan portfolios and find out where the money was. So uh, there's no income tax in Florida either, is nope, there? Nope. Like, sounds like a pretty good, of course you got hurricanes. Yes, you do. Yeah. You have to get good boots. Yeah, I guess one thing with another, I think I'm going to stick with, uh, you know, upstate New York or something. Chris, um, so the average uh, rate for a 30-year fixed mortgage is now at over 5%, I guess at bankrate.com says so. And mortgage applications uh, fell a bit last week lowest level in uh, 18 years or something. Mm-hmm. Is this the uh, augury of uh, further difficulty in housing? I guess we have agreed yes. provisionally that's the case, but how, how far down is housing likely to go? Well, it's interesting. I'm a, a shareholder in a little startup called Weiss Analytics, as in Case Schiller Weiss, and Alan's new model goes down to the house. So instead of showing you 5,000 zip codes, we have 75 million homes. And what he can do is show you the turn in each one of these areas and the volatility in the area. So 
San Diego. Very volatile market. Came oh. back early. 2010, it was coming back. Uh, and now it's done. It peaked a year ago and the volumes have disappeared. Partly because the market ran up so high, they outran the purchasers. They've run out of customers. Uh, New York peaked two years ago. We are awash with high-end luxury supply. Uh, we even have a lot of mid-price supply, at least mid-price by New York City. New, New York City. Yes, close in Queens, you know, Queens Plaza. Look what's going on over there. It's incredible. But, you know, there are thousands of empty units there that people can't afford. That's what it comes down to. So we're going to have a grudging capitulation. Prices are going to have to fall. That goes for retail here in New York as well. And you see the same thing in Denver. You see the same thing in Dallas. The markets have cooled. The prices went up so much that the move up home buyer, the person who's having that third or fourth kid, can't move. They can't afford the move. And I think that's that's going to be telling. It's not a crisis. It's just that it's, a, again, a result of fine-tuning by our friends at the Fed. And so prices are going to have to come down to clear these markets. What you seem to be predicting is that the um, the wealth effect from housing, which is the main asset for people in you know the, the first nine deciles of the income distribution, is mm -hmm. going to flatline or go down. Is mm -hmm. this going to have a, a negative wealth effect, a negative impact on spending? And is there anything the Fed can do or will try to do to correct this? Well, it's a very good question, Evan, because there's a huge amount of equity options. Obviously, home prices have rebounded trillions and trillions of dollars. But the older homeowners, the typical buyer in the last cycle, is well in their 50s. So they are not That's tapping not the old. No, but I'm just saying they, they don't feel the same need to tap the equity because they're not having babies. They're in a different part of their lives. And so it's been very surprising how little reverse business there is in terms of taking equity out of the house or even just a standard cash out refi. There's some of that, but not nearly what you would expect given the move in, in asset prices. So Yes, the wealth effect, I think, has been uh, thwarted this time around. And, you know, it's so funny. The economists were telling us they were going to help the housing sector. They've crushed the housing sector. You could not make up a worse perfect storm scenario than what we're seeing in housing today. It's incredible. We had regulation raise the cost by threefold. Then we had the Fed. Oh, regulation raise the cost of what threefold? Uh, making loans and servicing loans. Ah, okay. the, the, the consumer is toxic. Wells Fargo, by the way, is probably going to be getting out of the FHA market. They've been the last big bank to remain. Uh, they just can't take the risk and they can't take the low returns. That's what it comes okay, to. Okay, you're taking off the, the factors that have contributed to the perfect storm in housing. So regulation is one. Regulation, the fact that the lenders are not making money today, they're, they're losing money on almost every loan. And then falling, no, falling. No, why, why is that? Uh, competition and loan officer comp. Loan officers make anywhere from a point to a point and a half on close for a mortgage. Most of these companies aren't making half of that down at their net line right now. So they're paying out capital to retain people in the hope that they can preserve market share. And they're competing with Quicken and all of these other monsters who have very good systems, very big marketing spends, and they're just getting hammered. The, the small mom and pop is going to get annihilated in that market. Huh. Okay. Banks aren't making any money. Banks uh, have... Not on the on the consumer facing right. stuff. Credit cards, yes. Mortgages, okay. no. If you look at last quarter's earnings, Jim, mortgages were consistently an ugly story for all of the big banks. Uh, car loans. Uh, mm -hmm. They have uh, pulled car sales forward, as you mentioned. Higher interest rates. How are they going to affect car sales? In Same thing. It's going to force GM to stop 0% financing. It already has taken a lot of the incentives off table. And the industry is going to have to figure out how to get through years when there's 14 
million units instead of 16 or 17. So Chris, putting all this together, it seems to me the Fed's not going three times next year. No. And you, you know, a lot of people in the street are already hedging their bets for 20. They're looking for down GDP in 20. And I think they're right. I think they pulled all that activity forward. Here it is. But by next year, the volumes are going to be falling off, I think, in a lot of parts of the economy. And credit costs will be slowly going up. Not very fast, but they will slowly rise. Well, I don't know. We, we called you in here, Chris Whalen, to talk about, you know, upbeat, pleasant things. I, I am upbeat. I'm trying to convert <laughs> mortgage banks into <laughs> commercial banks so they can get a place. Yeah. Well, at the teat. <laughs> in, any, <laughs> in any case, Christopher Whalen, thank you for being with us. It's been uh, merely fabulous. And Evan, thank you as always. And, and Eric, it was a chilly day today. And as you may know, uh, regular listeners, Eric is, uh, is eagerly planning his uh, trip to Pyongyang this February, where <laughs> the average daytime high is, what, Evan, two degrees Fahrenheit? Oh, only in the sunshine. Well, anyway, this is a little warm up for you, Eric. And a toast to reunification. Right. That's great. All right. Happy days, ladies and gentlemen. Thank, thank you, you for joining us. Always a pleasure. This edition of uh, Current Yield, the Grants Podcast, is brought to you in part uh, by Grants. And the voice of Grants is that of John Dalberto, our inimitable telephonic prompter for those who wish to subscribe or renew, or even for those who are a little reluctant. He will call you up and say, how are things? Uh, family's good. And by the way, have you got your grants fixed? So John, we've talked before about what the paid up subscribers might avail themselves of. I want to speak directly this time to the prospective subscriber. And Soon to be subscriber. Imminent subscriber. And I want to suggest, first of all, and perhaps you have a thought or two, but I want to suggest that if you have not done so, you listeners, you ought to um, sign up for Almost Daily Grants, which is our daily blast, Almost Daily Blast, and um, it gives you a taste of the real McCoy. In fact, sometimes it's a little bit too good, in my opinion. It kind of, uh, you know, you, yeah, it's, uh, it's for free. But what we want to do, listeners, is to bring you into the fold of readers. So, John, what do you suggest beyond that? I mean, I... Yeah, exactly. So, over the years, people have asked me, we are an eclectic newsletter, cover a wide variety of topics, so people have asked me over the years, what do you cover? So the best way uh, to preempt this question, what we did was we developed the Grants Knowledge Center on the website to uh, basically group the content among eight topics. So I would visit the Grants Knowledge Center and uh, visit a topic such as gold or financial history and cycles. We have global macro stories, equity longs and shorts, fixed income longs and shorts, and an alternative assets section. You click on the section and three free articles appear. Free? Free. I, I was not consulted about, well, okay, fine. It's too late now. Yeah. Well, we do some things without your knowledge here. Uh, the, 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 and the other great thing about the Knowledge Center is you can actually share those free stories with friends, family, and colleagues. So that's a great way to get an idea of the breadth of coverage, okay? And, and actually, a paid-up subscriber should actually visit the Knowledge Center as well. You're reading the current issue, you should go back and uh, use the archives as well. You get a diploma or anything after you finish reading this stuff? We can work on that. Yeah. The other key thing I want to mention is there are five, if you haven't read an issue of grants, you need to do that yeah. to decide. Grants right, is correct. not for everyone. I mean, we want it to be, but it's really not. So if you haven't, please read a free issue. These are five typical issues of grants and at least read one or two. And you should know at that point whether grants is for you. Now, if you do have questions, you can call me directly and I'd be happy to. Uh, Great, John. This is, uh, this is fabulous. And uh, we will uh, we'll talk again. Thank you very much. 